0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, remember our study from last week. In last week, where we see how, yes, we absolutely have a priestly family. We have the high priest, we have his two sons, and it, they're all priests. You have the high priest and Eli, and then Hophni and Phinehas, they're also priests. And yes, we do have priests. But when you understand formula, when you understand formula, we also see that there's some very serious problems with these guys. Some very, very serious problems. You know, remember our study in Leviticus in the Old Testament, Abodah Abodah Mishkan? Where, yes, we have priests, but where in the world is Abodah, Abodah Mishkan? Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what is that? It's Hebrew. Go back and listen to our studies through the uh, the book of Leviticus and you'll understand a whole lot more. And it's just like today. When you understand formula, remember, you know, we live in a time today where we have churches on every street corner, and inside of those churches, you have, you know, multiple overseers. You have, you know, in some cases, there's, you know, a head pastor and a couple assistant pastors, uh, some co-pastors, and then you have elders, and, you know, let's put aside the uh, ministry, you know, those serving in ministry, like, you know, a, a worship team, specifically overseers pastors and elders and in one church you might have five overseers and you know you see it and you're like okay we have a church over here and they have five overseers a church over here and they have three overseers a church over here and they have 10 overseers and you think with the plethora of churches that we have today on every street corner and within each church even more of a plethora of overseers But even still, remember, nothing new under the sun. Where in the world is Abodah, Abodah Mishkan? Service unto the Lord. Overseers, pastors, elders, service unto the Lord. You say like, well, this guy's serving the Lord. When you understand formula, you realize this guy's serving himself. When you understand formula, you realize this guy is serving his belly. When you understand formula, you realize this lady, she shouldn't even be there. Now, specifically speaking of overseers, coverings are always male. Old Testament, New Testament, covering, always male. Always male. And then understand too, you know, it's like, well, wow, we have all these pastors everywhere. But this guy's doctrine is crazy town. He's teaching things that are not even in the Bible. You see? And so sometimes we read the Old Testament and it's like, "Well, this is the Old Testament. It has nothing to nothing, nothing for us today because, you know, we're New Covenant believers. We read the New Testament and so the Old Testament, that's for back in the day." But remember what the what, what Paul says. Beautiful brother Paul and, you know, also John too, but they say these things were written for our warning, for our admonition, the things of the Old Testament, the things of the Old Covenant, written for our warning. And just as we see in our day where we have pastors everywhere, elders everywhere, you understand formula, you realize there's not a lot of pastors, even though, you know, there's, you know, pastor parking spots and, you know, churches, they have multiple pastors. When you understand formula, you realize, wow, it's slim pickings in the, in the pastor community, so to speak. That's why brother James says, let not many be teachers let not many be teachers very important to understand and so back in the old testament days specifically in the first samuel chapter 3 generation which happens to be in the judges generation remember our study through the book of judges where you see mess upon mess upon mess upon ruin upon ruin upon ruin upon destruction upon destruction and you just see how oh my goodness this is such a mess in the book of judges and yes there are glimmers of things that God does but who does he use remember Hannah remember Ehud remember Jephthah who is it that the Lord uses? And you know also understand that in the judge's generation, a time when everybody was doing what is right in their own eyes. That's what was happening in the judge's generation. But look, they have the priests. Remember they had the annual celebration, the annual festival unto the Lord. They have the priesthood, but when you understand formula, yeah, they have the priest. but remember the priest that was, you know has his sexual addictions in our study in the book of judges? Through literally through his wifes his wife to the wolves. Remember, remember the the, the the priest that was you know uh, 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 purchased by Micah in the book of Judges, not Micah the prophet, the other Micah in the book of Judges. Remember? Yeah, there's the priest, all right. But where in the world is Abodah Abodah Mishkan? You see, fully and completely submitted to the Lord. Very important to understand. And that's what was happening. It's happening in our day. It's happening in our study in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where, yes, we have the priests. We got Eli, we got Hophni, we got Phineas. But look at them. Look at the sex that the sons were doing. Look at the dad, Eli, who didn't want to correct his sons. He knew all about it. Remember our study from last week? He wanted to be his son's friends. You ever see parents like that? Instead of being a dad, instead of being a mom, they want, want," Hey, son. Hey, baby girl. I want to be your best friend. You see people like that? Parents like that? These are parents who forget the millstone, the very thing that Jesus warns about. Kids need parents. Kids need a mom. Kids need a dad. Very important training in the ways of righteousness training up a child in the way he should go training up a child in the way she should go and so when you look at all this mess that's happening remember our study from first samuel chapter 2 don't forget there's beautiful little samuel beautiful little samuel yes there's a mess in the priests but then there's samuel and don't forget in the background in the life of samuel in the background What do we see? Praying Mama. Praying, mama. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. But go back and listen to our study through 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Very important. Get yourself caught up and then you can understand what's happening in this particular study in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and the backdrop of what is happening. And if you're listening for the first time, you know, you might as well go back and listen to our study through the book of Judges so you can understand the era and what is happening. And if you're listening for the first time, you know, you might as well just go back and listen to our study through leviticus and then get yourself caught up so that you can really understand everything is housed for you all the studies are there and so we begin our study here in first samuel chapter 3 first samuel chapter 3 verse 1 now the boy samuel ministered to the lord before eli now remember our study in chapter 1 and chapter 2 eli is high priest he has two sons who are wicked And Eli honored his sons over the Lord. You see, wrong formula. Wrong formula. And then the two sons had servants who were serving in the temple who were also complicit in their wickedness. And little Samuel here in verse 1, he's with Eli, the high priest. Now, do you remember our studies through Torah? You know the first five books of Moses, Torah, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you remember our studies through the through the through the law through the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. What was the, the the in the blueprints that the Lord gave to Moses at the mountain, remember our study in Exodus, where the Lord would speak to the high priest. The Lord would speak to the high priest That's what was supposed to happen when the formula is right. Those are the things that the Lord put in motion many, many moons ago, even in the era of Eli, that the Lord would speak to the high priest and then the high priest would come out and say, thus saith the Lord to the people. That's what was put in place. But that's when the formula is right. That's when you have a high priest who's straight up abodah abodah mishkan, sold out fully and completely to the Lord. That's what happens when you have a priest where the formula is right, fully and completely in service to the Lord. But when the formula is wrong, it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. Remember effectuation our studies our earlier studies studies even in the new testament there's a specific formula for effectuation you see things that the Lord put in motion and yes things that the Lord Lord the, uh, the Lord put in motion in, in 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 the era of judges but prior to that things were already put in motion and even today things are put in motion the things that angels look into remember our studies in the New Testament and as high priest Eli the high priest he knows this. He knows that you know the law of Moses, the the, uh, the 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 Ten Commandments, and all the statutes. He knows that the Lord would speak to the high priest. He knows all about it, and Eli knows the things that God put in motion. But look what we see in verse one here. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no widespread revelation in the hebrew it's hazon and that's there was no widespread dream no widespread vision no widespread revelation no widespread oracle no widespread prophecy no widespread perceiving That wasn't happening on a large scale. It wasn't happening among among the masses. It wasn't happening with Eli. But then you look at the law books. You look at Leviticus, Numbers. It's like, wait a second. The Lord said he would speak to the priesthood. The Lord said he would speak to the high priest. The Lord said it. Absolutely. You're right. The Lord does say it. But what happens when the formula is off? I like to think about radio stations. Say like you you know we want to listen to classical music. We want to listen to some Mozart. And say Mozart is on um I'm just going to pick out a number I and mean, depending on where you live, I don't know what radio station this is, but I'm just going to pick out a number. Say the Mozart station is on 105.5. 105.5 listen to Mozart, you know, all day every day 105.5. Now we're in a city where Mozart is on 105.5. So the radio station the, the, on the, on the radio dial, there exists this, the station Mozart 105.5. But if the dial is at 92.8, you're not going to get Mozart. You see, if the dial is at 101.2, you're not going to get Mozart. We got to be at 105.5 in order to get Mozart. And we use that example in explaining frequency with the Lord. There's a holy frequency. You and me, we have to align with what the Word of God says. In order, just like, you know, in in order to listen to Mozart, the radio dial is there, that cars have their radios. And we're in a city where 105.5 is Mozart and we want to listen to the Mozart station. And so we got to be on 105.5. But if we're at 91, if we're at 92, if we're at 98, if we're at 103, it's not happening. We're not going to hear Mozart. We got to be at 105.5. If we're at 105.5. Two, we might hear a little mozart but it's gonna be scratchy we want the full clarity hd sound we want the full clarity of mozart so you and me we gotta be on 105.5 not scratchy not well i think that's how it sounds not 105.2 where you know we can kind of make things out but it's scratchy no we want full clarity so we gotta be at on 105.5 but it's the same with the lord you and me, we have to align to what the word of God says. Understanding covenants. This is where people get tricked sometimes because they read the Old Testament and they say, Wow, you know, this is pleasing to the Lord, so therefore I'm gonna do this. This is pleasing to the Lord. Look, the the, the, the law of Moses and Leviticus says this that this is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so now I'm gonna go sacrifice animals. Whoa, 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 hold the phone. We are a people of the new covenant. We are a people of the new covenant. If you are part of the Hebrew Roots movement, number one, I love you. Number two, you're in the wrong. Number three, repent and get right with the Lord. You say, wait a second. How dare you say that? I'm Hebrew Roots, so I'm going to stone you for saying that. Hold the phone. Go back and listen to our study through... Uh, 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 Galatians, listen to our study through Hebrews and then listen to our study through Leviticus and then, you know, go back and listen to our study through Hebrews. In that order, you'll understand a whole lot more. So I love you, but if you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, you're wrong. And so a lot of times people, they, they, they read the Old Testament and they say, wow, this is pleasing to the Lord, so now I'm going to start sacrificing animals. no, 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 no. Remember the changing of the law? Remember, the law is holy, yes. But there is greater glory in the fulfillment of the law. So we understand that the Lord says, yes, that the Lord would speak to the high priest. The Lord would speak to the high priest and through the high priest. Where the high priest would receive from the Lord and then the high priest would go and say to the people, thus saith the Lord. That's what happens when the priest is on 105.5, just like the Mozart station. That's what happens when the Lord is on 105.5, except he hears from the Lord. And then he comes out and says, thus saith the Lord. But what if the priest is on 92.3? He can't say, thus saith the Lord, when the because form, the formula is not right. He can come out and say, thus saith the Lord, but that's not the Lord, you see? The Lord is 105.5. Using the Mozart example, the Lord is 105.5. So the priest comes out and says, thus saith the Lord. And it's like, well, wait a second. Hey, priest, you need to be on 105.5. And you want to say, thus saith the Lord? The only way you can biblically say, thus saith the Lord, is when you're on, on, on 105.5. That's the only way. You want to be on 92.3? You can say, thus saith the Lord. And you can trick all these people. And they think that, you know, thus saith the Lord because you said it. But you're on 92.3. You're off. And so, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, you know, submit to your pastor. Submit to your pastor. It is a biblical truth to submit yourself to your pastor. But, what happens when your pastor's in crazy town? What happens when the pastor's on 92.3? What happens when the pastor's on 101.8? He's got to be at 105.5. And when you understand formula, you realize okay, this pastor's crazy. Okay, this pastor's a pervert. Okay, this pastor's a hireling. Okay, this pastor over here is doctrine is crazy town. Okay, this pastor over here, I dare not submit to him. This pastor over here, I dare not submit to her. And you're going to find a problem. There are not a lot of pastors around. Even though we have a plethora of pastors everywhere, you're going to see a problem. When you understand formula, you're going to realize, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Yeah, we got churches everywhere. Yeah, we got pastors everywhere. But they're wrong. They're not on 105.5. And so people, as a result, they've come up with these conclusions. Okay, well, maybe God's not speaking anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago. Dreams, visions. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Prophecy. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. That was for another dispensation. It's not for today. The problem is that nobody is on 105.5. Remember, the Lord never changes. People always say, oh, you know what, that was for, you know, the the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit and what he does. What we see in the book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And you have pastors today who say that. And then you ask them, why? Why, pastor, do you say that 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 was for 2,000 years ago? Well, it's because we don't see it today. Therefore, it was for 2,000 years ago because it was seen in the book of Acts. They're fools. They're fools. Straight up fools. You know why? Because there is no expiration date on the power and the moving and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. No expiration date. Biblically speaking. Now, there is an expiration date on individuals. That happens when they quench the Spirit and extinguish the the Spirit. Something the Bible says, don't you dare do that. You see? And this happens largely with Calvinists and Reformed theology people and mainline Presbyterianism. Oh, you know, we don't see the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit like we see in the book of Acts. Therefore, God is done with that. That was another dispensation. They're wrong, big time. They're way wrong. Now, the Lord might not be doing that with them, but that doesn't mean the Lord is done doing that. You see, you and me, we have to be on the right frequency. We have to understand what the Word of God teaches. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. Very important to understand because we're living in a time where there's churches everywhere. There's pastors everywhere and you would think just based on the title pastor just based on the number of pastors there are you would think that the events of the last days is impossible just based on all the pastors we see you you would think that the everything we read about in you know the prophetic books and the book of revelation prophecies in daniel prophecies in ezekiel you would think All these prophecies of the last days, it's impossible because with all these churches, with all these pastors, with all these elders, with all these ministry groups and ministry uh, 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 NGOs, you would think, wow, this tribulation can't come because we have all these churches everywhere. Tribulation can't come because we have all these pastors everywhere. But don't forget what Brother Peter prophesies about. He tells us, revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that judgment begins in the church. Remember, go back and listen to our study through Peter's letters. Very important to understand. And so we see here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we see that in verse 1, the the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. There was no widespread revelation. You see? But the Lord said he would speak, one might say. The Lord said he would speak. The Lord said that he does speak. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a special frequency. When you understand formula you also understand that there's a special, special frequency for those that have ears to hear. For those that have ears to hear. Very special frequency. Those who are are at the 105.5 in the Mozart example. Very special people. And I'm not talking about pastors. I'm not talking about overseers. A very special people who are on 105.5. Just like, look at our study in 1 Samuel chapter 1, chapter 2, and here we are in chapter 3. We have the priest. We have a high priest. He has the knowledge. We have his sons who are priests, and they have the knowledge. But you know who's on the right frequency? Hannah. Beautiful, beautiful Hannah. The frequency with her, she's like per- like. HD quality, super duper duper HD. I don't know what that's called, but super duper HD. She has full clarity. She's aligned herself with the Word of God. But she's not a priest. She's not male. I know. But remember, in Christ, no male, no female. We're all one in Christ. You say, wait a second, we're in the judge's era. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and there is no Christ. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold the phone. Remember, aren't we look at Theophanies? We see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Remember what that New Testament teaches us? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember? Colossians. Everything made was made in him, by him, for him, through him. Remember? Very important to understand. These are the things when we understand, the, they keep us on the right frequency. When the world is going crazy. I mean, I have talks with atheists, non-believers all the time, but specifically atheists. And this might sound kind of weird, but I have a heart for atheists. I have a heart for atheists. You know why? Because a lot of them are atheists because of what they see in the church. And they hate God. They say, I hate God. I hate God. I hate God. And then we have these conversations. Well, why do you? The conversations, when they start off, they're kind of rough. Not, not from my end, but from their end. You know, I hate you. You're a Christian. or you're stupid. And this and this. Even the expletives. Oh, you dumb Christians this. You dumb Christians that. And you're one of these people. It's like, okay, say what you want. But why is it that you have these notions about Christianity and then they go on to speak and they say, well, I was told this and this pastor says this and this guy says this. It's like, okay, you and me are in agreement then you and me are in agreement because that pastor who said that number one, his doctrine is wrong. Number two, he has no business at the pulpit. Number three, he didn't heed the, the the word of God and saying, let not many be teachers because he presumes to be teachers, but he had a teacher, but he has no business. And you're accepting that pastor's word as the word of God and the pastor is wrong. So you and me, you have a problem with that guy? Hey, I have a problem with him too. And the Lord will judge him. I mean, if he, well, hopefully he'll repent, but that's between him and the Lord. But the Lord will judge him. And so you have a problem with Christians. You have a problem with God. You have a problem with Jesus. When really, your problem is with the false teacher. Really, your problem is with the leaven. And to speak to the atheist and be like, hey, look, I got the same issue too, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think that too. This guy, he's wrong. This doctrine, that's wrong. What they say and what they teach about this subject and that subject and this subject, hey, they're wrong. The formula is way off. And to talk to the atheist and the atheist is like, well, I never knew that before. I never knew that before. And then to boil it down even further and say, okay, you never knew that before. Now you know. And now you know that your problem is with this guy, with that sect, with these people. And hey, I'm on board. I have the same problem with them. But that leaves one other aspect of the equation. You told me, speaking to the atheist, you told me that you hated God because of what these people said. You told me you hated God because of what this guy did. And now it's been established that those are in the wrong. That guy is in the wrong. And these people are in the wrong. They're wrong. Their doctrine is off base. And now that leaves the Lord. And now that we've established that your problem is with these people, that still leaves a gap between you and the Lord, you and God, you and the Most High. It still leaves a gap, my beautiful atheist friend. It still leaves a gap between you and the living God. And that gap. That gap can be a gap no more. And that only happens through Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. If you are atheist, if you are a non-believer, and you're starting to realize like, oh my goodness oh my goodness, this guy has a point. Yeah, I have a problem with God. Yeah, I have a problem with Jesus. Yeah, I have a problem with Christians. Yeah, I have a problem with pastors. But to come to the realization that what I thought about God was way off base, what I thought about Jesus was way off base, and yes, way off base, and I have a problem with these people, yes, absolutely. But you're coming to the realization that I shouldn't blame God for that. I shouldn't blame Jesus for that. And if that's you, you know what's happening? The gears of faith are starting to turn. Maybe slowly, maybe the gears of faith have a little rust. But the gears of faith are starting to turn because everyone was created with faith. It was written on our hearts. Every single soul was written with faith. And those gears are starting to turn. Don't deny that. Don't deny that. That's a beautiful thing. When those gears start to turn. Now granted, you know, I I want them to be spinning like big time. But baby steps. And if that's you. And you desire right here, right now to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Hit pause. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. Right here, right now, point blank. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen and we grow together. We journey together. And praise be to the Lord. You look at verse 1 here. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Well, why? The Lord said he would speak. There was no widespread revelation, there was no widespread dream, vision, oracle, prophecy, perceiving, or revelation. Why? The formula was wrong. The formula is off base. Remember our study in Judges. Everybody is doing right. What 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 is right in their own eyes? You look at today's culture, today's generation, and everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Just as the Bible says, "Nothing new under the sun." We've been here before, as a people, as humanity. We've been here before. Nothing new under the sun. You see, very special formula. And as those gears of faith start to turn, now you might already be a believer and then, you know, the gears of faith are turning, but now they can turn even faster. But if the gears of faith have never turned and they're starting to turn and you freshly committed your life to Jesus Christ, today's day one as a new believer in Jesus Christ, you might not understand the fullness of formula, but that comes in time. That will happen in time as you and me journey together and we grow together and we mature in Christ together. Now, if, if you are a new listener, just or if you are a new believer, if you committed your life or fear, you know, if you're, you, you're a baby Christian, nothing wrong with being a baby. Babies are beautiful. The problem is when people stay babies. That's not good. Arrested development. But if that's you, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and then listen to all those studies through the New Testament. Starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It will help you grow. It will help you mature in Christ. You look at passages in Scripture where the Lord says that He speaks. The Lord says that He would speak. But then you look at verse 1. Why isn't he speaking? Why is it that the word of the Lord is rare? Why is it that there's no widespread dream, vision, revelation, oracle, prophecy, or perceiving? Why is that? You see? We have a priesthood after all. We have the, the Levites. We have the Kohanim. We absolutely do. But there's a problem. Look at them. Look at them. Remember judges? Priests given over to idols and sects. And here we are in 1 Samuel and we see Priests who do not know the Lord. A high priest who honors his sons more than the Lord. They're on the wrong frequency. Wrong frequency. Wrong formula. And thus, there was no widespread revelation. You see? And it's same today. Nothing new under the sun. No widespread revelation. But, but, look at verse 2. And it came to pass at that time, While Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, now, Hebrews here, in the Hebrews, you know, it's growing dim, which includes through a feebleness. So Eli is very likely, most likely, an old man. And in this, you also see God's mercy. You also see the mercy of God. Why? Because Eli has ample opportunity to repent and get right with God. He has ample opportunity for his house to be right with God. He said, well, "What is it? you're talking about Eli? Why, what, what are you talking about his house? His sons. He has ample opportunity. I mean, he, he's not like, you know 80 years old and you know became a high priest at age 80. He's been a high priest for a while now. He grew up in that lineage of of, of priests. Notice what we see. That his eyes had begun to grow so so dim that he could not see. And in verse 3, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. Now, there's several things that we have to bear in mind. Several things. Number one, the lamp of God is the light. We see in verse three, before the lamp of God went out. We're so spoiled now. We're so spoiled now because today we're living in a generation and we've been living here for a while because whenever we need light, whenever there's darkness, what happens? We just flip a switch. You find the, little, the switch on the wall. Oh, it's dark in this room. You Find the little switch and ping, light. Phones now, they have the the little flashlight on them. It's dark, boom, you hit a button, flip a switch. We're so spoiled. But back in the day, for light, if it was nighttime, you know, for light, in order for, for you to have light, there needed to be a flame. There needed to be a vessel, and there needed to be oil. And before this light of God went out in the tabernacle, no power companies back then no electric companies back then no light bulbs back then but there were still flames and before this light of god went out in the tabernacle another thing that's interesting to note is that the light was on its way to going out in verse three it's on its way before the lamp of god went out in the tabernacle of the lord it's almost going out and you know what went out is in the Hebrew. Where it says in verse three, before the lamp of God went out, you know what that means in the Hebrew? That went out to extinguish and quench. Very interesting. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? It's the very thing that Paul tells us not to do with the Holy Spirit. Where in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nineteen, "Do not quench the Spirit." Translates in the Greek as "Do not extinguish the Spirit." See. It's why we tell the saints. It's why we tell all who listen. It's why we tell you. Store your oil. Store your oil. Because in these last days, lamps are going out. Lamps are going out in record numbers, in droves, as apostasy takes root. It is prophesied. Apostasy is prophesied nothing new under the sun. And before the lamp went out in the era of little Samuel, in verse four, that the Lord called Samuel. Wow. The Lord called Samuel. Before the lamp went out, it was on its way to going out. It was almost out. And the Lord called Samuel. I wonder if the Lord is calling out names in these last days. I wonder if the Lord is calling out your name in these last days. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Look what happens here in verse 4. That the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. Here I am. Now, something to understand here is Samuel, he didn't quite understand what was happening. At this particular moment in time, there's a youthfulness to Samuel. Certain things aren't fully understood. And so the Lord calls to Samuel. Samuel says, here I am. And in verse 5, so he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. For you called me, here I am. Little Samuel heard the voice and he ran to Eli. He thought it was Eli who called him. You know what I love so much about this? There's such an innocence to Samuel that we see. Such a beautiful innocence. Even with with the stuff that he doesn't yet know or understand, there's such a beautiful innocence. This is what something, if if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Romans. Remember the rugby match in our study in Romans? Because sometimes you come across across Christians, believers, and they get on a high horse. They think, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm the learned one. I I know my Bible like the back of my hand. I went to Bible college. I know this. I know that. And you're just a little baby, and you don't understand anything." Now, it might be true. It might be true that a Christian, that maybe even you, it might it might be true. That you are a baby Christian and you don't have, you know, this certain levels of understanding. It might be true. But no one in the faith should look down upon that. You See, remember the rugby match. If you're listening for the first time, go and listen to our study through the book of Romans. Remember the rugby match. No one should look down on that. Babies are beautiful. Babies are absolutely beautiful. The problem is when babies stay babies. When a Christian is a baby believer and three years later, they're still a baby believer. They still don't have the, the, they they, they haven't moved on from milk. That's the problem. Because then you get into leaven territory and a little leaven leavens the bunch. And then you have to separate from the leaven. But that doesn't mean babies are bad. It means the leaven is bad. Babies are beautiful. You see? And we see such a beautiful innocence among baby believers. And when I say baby believers, I'm not talking about, you know, babies with the, you know, the goo goo gaga. i am talking about babies like you might be 30 years old. You might be 40 years old and you're a brand new believer in Jesus Christ. And you're a baby in the faith. If you're like 25, 35, 45, 55, you might be 85 and you came to Christ today. You're a baby believer. There's nothing wrong with being a baby believer. Just don't stay there. You see? We grow and we mature. And we matriculate. It's like, you know, you and me, we enroll in kindergarten. And five years later, we're still in kindergarten. That's not good. But you and me, we enroll in kindergarten, and it's so beautiful. Because we're kindergartners, and we got... And then after kindergarten, you know, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth... You know, five years later, boom, we're in sixth grade. You know, a couple more years later, we're in high school, junior high, high school. And then, you know, even more years later, and we're in university. Higher learning. But to be in kindergarten and then 10 years later, to still be in kindergarten, not good. But kindergartners are beautiful. And there's this innocence that we see to Samuel. Samuel there's such an innocence to what we see in new believers to the babies in christ and praise be to the lord things that maybe you you don't understand you just came to christ say right here right now and say you came to christ right here right now and there's a lot of things you don't understand but in the course of time you will i mean you ask a kindergartner to do you know what's Five plus five plus five plus five plus five. And, you know, they're going to throw Plato at you. But then you ask, you know, a high schooler, what's five plus five plus five plus five? And boom, they'll give you the answer. Because they know. And so learning and understanding scripture, knowledge, which is a gift of the spirit, that's going to come with time. And yet, among the babies, there's such a beautiful innocence. And that's what I love so much about who the Lord choo- chooses and uses. Because little Samuel, he doesn't have the, you know, the degree in theology. He doesn't go to seminary. You see, and it's quite possible the same with you. You're a brand new believer in Christ. Or maybe you've been a believer for two years. Maybe you've been a believer for 10 years. And you're realizing right now that, Oh my goodness, I'm a baby. Oh my goodness, I don't know these deep things of scripture. Number one, if that's you, if you're a baby and you've been a Christian for 10 years, there's several reasons for that. Number one, Of course, yourself. But then number two, the pastor. Who is your pastor? Who is it? The Bible says you need to submit to your pastor. Who is it that you're submitting to? You have pastors today who are so afraid to speak truth. Why? Because they get set in their lifestyles. They can afford their mortgage. They can afford their rent. They can afford their car payment. And if they say anything that's gonna hurt somebody's little feelers, that person's gonna leave, no longer tithe. So the pastor says, you know what? I'm I I won't dare speak about prophecy. I won't dare speak about certain books, or I'll just gloss over certain books, or we'll study from King James, we'll study from New King James. But when it comes to this heavy stuff, we're gonna study from the message because whoa, this is gonna hurt the people so much, and they're gonna leave, and I'm not I, 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 I won't be able to afford my mortgage. I won't be able to afford my rent i won't be able to pay for the the, the car payment you know what those people are called hirelings hirelings they don't serve the lord they serve their wallet they serve their belly and they will be judged and so you might be a christian for maybe 10 years 20 years and you're just now realizing oh my goodness this guy has a point oh my goodness i'm a baby now Several things to happen. Jump ship. Number one, jump ship. Do not submit to that pastor. The guy you call pastor, you say, well, he's not not a guy, he's female. Well, there you go. Another problem. But do not submit to who you call pastor. Because they taught you wrong. See? And the next thing that needs to happen. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. And you need to repent as well. And I don't mean repent like, you know, hey, I'm going to beat you up so you have to repent. No, it's just a matter of, hey, let's be clean before the Lord. Let's, you and me, let us both be clean before the Lord. Let us both be pure before the Lord. You see, welcome aboard. Let us be right with the Lord. Let us have purity of mind, purity of heart, purity of soul. Let us be clean before the Lord. Let us be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And then we learn together. We journey together. We walk together. Prophecies of the last days where judgment comes first to the church, it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. And just like we said earlier, it should be, you would think, with all the churches, all the pastors, you would think like, well, the the last days, it's impossible. So what does that say about the churches and the pastors? Knowing that judgment comes first in the church. There's a whole lot of mess in the church today. Just like in the era of judges. A whole lot of mess, a whole lot of ruin, a whole lot of destruction. Nothing new under the sun. And with little Samuel, little Samuel might be just like you. You don't need the degree in theology. In fact, the seminary, the theology degrees, those are very often, very often, nothing but full of poison. Seminary school. Things that are being taught in theology school. You know, you always see on the news, you know, you know, or you hear on radio stations, they're talking about woke culture. Hey, this guy's going woke. Hey, this lady's going, university is going woke. And you think, okay, that's that's for the worldly university. No, 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 no. It's happening in seminaries too. It's happening in theology schools. It's happening in Bible colleges. And people say, oh, it's the woke agenda, the woke agenda, the woke agenda. You know what I call it? The spirit of Antichrist. Lying wonders. Spirit of Antichrist. It's all in preparation for the revealing of the Antichrist when Satan finds his host. And the only ones who can identify that individual are Christians. And not run of the mill Christians. The remnant. Those are the only ones. And so you have these theology schools. People say, oh, well, they're going to this theology school, this seminary. They're going woke. This Bible college, they're going woke. The spirit of antichrist. That's what it is. We're living in the last days. Very important. I know a certain fellow, a certain individual, a certain fellow. He enrolled in seminary school. And the day of orientation, the Lord took his sight away and gave him a vision. It was about teaching the Bible and learning from no place else but the Bible. Very important. And with this certain fellow, his eyesight returned and he disenrolled from seminary. And then he began his studies through the Bible. Pretty neat guy. I think you'd like him. And I only say this as encouragement to my young brothers and sisters in Christ because a lot of times we place so much clout on pastors and ministry leaders and teachers. And don't get me wrong, these are very, very necessary. Very, very important. Very important. But just like the Old Testament, just like the New Testament, and still today, the formula The formula, formula, formula. It must be right. Look at Eli. Eli, the high priest in the first Samuel era. Look at Hophni. Look at Phinehas. They have the education. They have the training. They have the knowledge. But look at them. Look at them. Because of knowledge, Because of knowledge, they are without excuse. Without excuse. That's heavy. That's why, you know, you read passages in scripture when there's a squandering of the word or a quenching of the spirit or an extinguishing of the spirit. The Bible says it would have been it would have been better for that person not to have known. Because sometimes you read it, you know, if if you're like a baby Christian and it's like, wow, it's better not to have known the Bible. It's better not to have known a a, a salvation. It's better not to have known God. It's better not to have known Jesus. And when you're a baby believer, it's like, wow, that sounds kind of heavy. It's better not to. And this is where the Calvinists go to town because they say, well, okay, that's because that individual is predestined for hell. They're wrong. Way wrong. The Calvinists, the Reformed and the mainline Presbyterian once a person knows once a person knows truth they are without excuse they are without excuse and that's why the bible says it would have been better not to know not to have known the way of truth because once a person knows they are without excuse very important to understand So for my young brothers and sisters in Christ, let no one despise your youth. If you're a baby Christian, if you've been a Christian for 10 years and you're realizing, oh my goodness, I'm a baby. This guy has a point. Listen, Repent, let's get you cleaned up. Jump ship and welcome aboard. It's beautiful to be a baby Christian. It's beautiful to be youthful in Christ, but we don't stay babies. We don't stay youthful. We move on to perfection. We move on to maturity in Christ. It's just like kindergarten. You and me enroll in kindergarten. Five years later, we're, we shouldn't be in kindergarten. But you look at the church. People come to church and they have the spiritual kindergarten. Five years later, they're still in kindergarten. 10 years later, still in kindergarten. 20 years later, still in kindergarten. And that's not good for the Christian. But from my perspective, I look at the pastor. Who is this guy? Who is this guy at the pulpit who isn't training God's people? Who isn't equipping and teaching God's people? Who is that guy? Because sometimes the pastor has baby Christians because he himself is a baby and he's playing the part. He likes the accolades. He wants the... The the, the the fame, oh, look at me, I'm a pastor. Oh, look at me, I'm a pastor. I'm a ministry leader. Oh, look at me, I'm so awesome. Look at all the followers that I have on social media. Look at all the likes I get. Oh, they take their selfies. Oh, look at me, I'm praying. Oh, look at me, I'm reading my Bible. Oh, look at me, I'm handing this guy a $20 bill. I'm handing this guy a $100 bill. Look at me, they take their selfie. And their glory is among the dead. Sometimes pastors have babies in fellowships because the pastor himself is baby. But sometimes the pastor has babies in the, pul- uh, in the pews, babies in the church, because the pastor is not a baby himself. Sometimes the pastor is not only a hireling. Sometimes the so-called pastor is a servant of Satan. see and sometimes Satan wants you to be a baby specifically designed because if I were to tell you hey I mean not to get graphic right but if I were to tell you hey you're gonna have a cage fight in six months yeah you're gonna go in the octagon in six months from now you're gonna go in the octagon and you're like okay you know number one who is it who's my opponent it would be one thing if I say it's this guy he's you know seven feet tall His arms are the size of a tree trunk and he can just flick his pinky and you're going to fly out of, you know, you're just, you know, launching out of the octagon and you're toast. And that would be kind of scary. But if I say, hey, you know, you have a cage fight in six months, you would think like, okay, I got to train up for this, got to work out, you know, and get some muscle and do all these things. But then you say, okay, who's the opponent? And I say it's this. This little one one-year-old, you know, can't even talk, you know, little goo-goo gaga. This little one-year-old. And I don't want to get graphic, but that's 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 easy, you know. You just you don't even have to like like make them tap out. You just kinda of like like lay on them and you know, and boom, you won the, you know, you won. And that's what Satan wants to do with Christians. He wants babies. You know why? Because he can make a mockery out of Christians when they're babies. I mean, look at the church today. You ever watch the news and you see like, wow, you know, this, this, this pastor has been arrested because he molested kids. This pastor has been arrested because, you know, he's going to prison because of extortion. You look at Hillsong, you look at Hillsong with the, you know, with with the, what's being revealed in the news. Just, you know, go to the, the, the internet, type in, you know, Hillsong in the news and boom, you'll see it. You see, Satan likes making a mockery. And he does that big time with baby Christians. He doesn't like Christians who mature. You see, I mean, you look at the book of Acts and people say like, oh, look, I want, I want to be in a church like the book of Acts. I want to be in a church like the book of Acts. And you see like, wow, there's some major things happening in the book of Acts. And wow, it's a powerful church because, you know, they're, they're on the, you know, 105.5. They're on the right frequency and beautiful things are happening. The moving of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit and, you know, all these, the, the, the gifts of the spirit. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But there's some major attacks happening. Major, major attacks. Christians on being attacked in major ways. Major ways, life-threatening ways. And yet you see Christians on offense in the book of Acts. You see? And a lot of times when you look at baby Christians, it's, it's beautiful to be a baby. But we, we don't stay babies. We don't stay in kindergarten. It's beautiful to enroll in kindergarten, but you don't stay in kindergarten. You see, and if you're a baby Christian, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth, but that's what you have to do. Let no one despise your youth because what happens sometimes the so-called learned class, they get on their high horse. And then they come at you doing exactly what they shouldn't be doing. They do despise your youth. And you don't need to shy away from what is true. I mean, if you're a baby, if you, you know, be straight up. If you're a baby Christian, say, hey, look, I don't know the Bible, but, you know, I'm learning the Bible. I mean, you a kindergarten doesn't fake calculus. You don't see a kindergartner that's, you know... All the kindergartners are doing finger painting and, you know, playing with Play-Doh and coloring and whatever they do in kindergarten, kindergarten class. You don't see a kindergartner, you know, faking it and trying to do calculus. You don't see that because the baby, the kindergartners just like straight up. Look, I don't know calculus. I'm in kindergarten. I don't know calculus. But I will know calculus one day. You see, you don't see first graders saying, you know, hey, I know how to do statistics. You see? Or second graders saying, eh, I, I know, I, I, I know uh, 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 algebra. You don't see that. But then you look at college kids. Eh, algebra, piece of cake. You see? And if you're a baby in Christ, be straight up. Hey, look, I'm a baby in Christ. I don't know the depths of Scripture like this guy. I don't know the depths of Scripture like this lady. But I will. You see, just like kindergarten, you know, I, I, don't know calculus. I don't know trigonometry. I don't know algebra. I don't even know addition. You're, 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 in preschool. I don't even know how to do one plus one. I've heard of it, but in the course of time, I'm not only going to know one plus one, I'm going to know, like you ever see like the complex math problems where it's just like a, you know, you see a big chalkboard, you know, and it's like the, the whole math, but pro- one math problem is like on the front side of the chalkboard and then you flip the chalkboard and it's the continuation of the math problem. A kindergartner can't do that. But in the course of time, the kindergartner can do that. Former kindergartner can do that. Why? Because he or she has moved on to perfection. Sometimes you'll have the learned class, the so-called learned class. And they'll come at you despising your youth. That's what they do. But be straight up. Hey, listen. Yeah, I'm a baby Christian. What of it? And if you're a baby in Christ, be straight up. You're a baby in Christ. And that's beautiful. It's the problem is when babies stay babies. Don't do that. And so the so-called learned ones, they do despise your youth. Don't let them. Have contentment in Christ and with Christ. And sometimes it can be intimidating when the so-called learned class, the so-called pastor, the so-called elder, and he knows the Bible. And of the Bible, he absolutely knows more than you. I mean, if you're a baby Christian and you have a pastor, he absolutely knows more about Scripture than you do. And that can be very scary when you're a baby Christian. But you know what? Let me tell you what's really happening. It's more scary for him. It's more scary for him. you know why? Because of knowledge. because he's without excuse. He's without excuse. You have a pastor, say so you, you came to Christ today. You're a brand new Christian. You're my brother in Christ, fresh, freshly born brother in Christ, freshly born sister in Christ. And praise be to the Lord. I now have a new brother. I now have a new sister in Christ. Praise be to the Lord. And I love you. But say you go to church and you know nothing of scripture. All you know is that you love the Lord and you believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in his only begotten son. That's the extent of your theology. That's not a bad thing. It's dangerous, but it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I say it's dangerous because I'm mean, like, you know, are you going to take a freshly born baby and, you know, you know, uh, 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 put them on the sidewalk? No way. It's baby's beautiful, but that's very dangerous because somebody can pick up the baby, the baby could roll over and the highway's right there. And, you know, there's wild animals, you know, the eagle could fly and pff, bye-bye, baby. Very dangerous. So if you're a baby in Christ, it's very beautiful, but it's also very dangerous. And sometimes you have these so-called pastors and they get on their high horse. Oh, you, you don't know the Bible like I do. How dare you say this about me? How dare you think that about this and this? Because I'm the pastor and I know more about the Bible than you. And that is true, but it's more scary for him because he is without excuse. And being without excuse, there are more reasons for him to be judged. You see? Very important to understand the Lord's ways are not our ways and our ways are not the Lord's ways. That's why you and me, we align to the Word of God. We align to the Lord. And the Word became flesh. Look at the priest's. In 1 Samuel, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, they had clout. They were priests. You have Eli; he's high priest. They had clout. They absolutely had influence. But who did the Lord say would die? The priests. You see, Hophni, Phineas. There are that excuse. They had the knowledge, they had the clout, they had the influence. But they also have the judgment. You see, they're without excuse. So if you're a baby in Christ, praise be to the Lord. You're in Christ. Now what happens? We grow in Christ. I'm not going to leave you on the sidewalk. It's very dangerous, but I'm, you know, you're a baby. It's dangerous for you, but I'm not going to leave you on the sidewalk. That's why we say, come on, we're going to grow together. We're going to grow together. You and me. You see? We grow in Christ. And growing in Christ, something else happens. We don't stay babies. You see? We don't stay babies. You're going to walk and realize, okay, I shouldn't get on the highway. And you don't get on the highway. The hawk's going to fly down and try and pick you up. And you're just going to slap him away. Get out of here, hawk. Get out of here, Eagle. Get out of here. Why? Because you're growing. You're maturing. And with maturity comes something else. The next tier, which is you're going to turn deadly. You see? You're going to turn dead. Where the wolf comes and you straight up kill the wolf. Metaphysically speaking, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal in nature. But very supernatural. Very spiritual. We don't fight like the world. We don't fight like the carnal, but we fight. We absolutely fight. It's like Paul. You know, you look at Paul, you look at uh, 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 John in, the, in, in, the, in the, 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 the New Testament. They speak so bold. They speak so with such authority and it's so beautiful to see. And you think like, whoa, this guy, he's like, you know, he's he's straight up. He's, he's People are coming to cry. Paul, he would go to the hornet's nest. He would go to synagogue. And prove from the scrolls that Jesus is the Messiah. And people would become Christians. Boom, right there. But Paul became deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. Paul became deadly. And people were coming to Christ. With Peter, people were coming to Christ in thousands. And because they were deadly, you know, Satan. He tries to stop them. Okay, yeah. Let's let's beat him up. Let's beat up Paul. Let's beat up Peter. Okay, that's not happening. Let's let's attack those around them. Okay, they're not stopping. Okay, now let's do this. Let's try to arrest them. Let's get them arrested. Okay, now they you know they teach out in the public square. Let's put them in jail, and they're still teaching in jail. They're still preaching in jail and singing hymns unto the Lord. Okay, so that's not. Let's beat them up even more. Okay, they're still not stopping. Now, let's kill them. You see? And you never see these vessels of the Lord fighting carnally. But they're fighting, absolutely. Mighty, mighty warriors. But it's not the warrior class according to the flesh. It's the warrior class according to the spirit. And that's what happens with every, every believer when they grow in Christ and mature in Christ. You see? And so Eli, the high priest, who absolutely has a knowledge base, he speaks to Samuel. And this is what he says, in, still in verse 5. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lied down again. So Eli, the high priest, he pretty much dismisses little Samuel. He just dismissed it. Hey, Samuel, you say you come to me and says, you know, you called. Here I am. Hey, that was I didn't call. Go back to sleep. Lie down again. And Samuel goes, lies down again. Eli the high priest just, hey, get out of here. Remember Eli the high priest in chapter one. Remember our studies in chapter one where he thought Hannah was drunk. She's praying and he thinks she's drunk. See, this priest, he's, in, he's not on 105.5. There's something wrong with this so-called priest. His ability to perceive is off. See, no widespread revelation. Just like we see, in, we started here in verse 1. No widespread revelation. Verse 1 and 2, you no know, widespread revelation. Is it that the Lord didn't want to speak? Did the Lord just stop speaking point blank? Who is it that has ears? You see. But the Lord said He would speak to the high priest. The Lord says the high priest has understanding. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what that's what the law says. But when the formula is off, Eli is in the wrong. You see, Eli is not on the right frequency. Instead of being on 105.5, Eli's on 92.3. He can come out and say, thus saith the Lord. He can come out and say it, thus saith the Lord. And even a whole bunch of people might follow him. Thus saith the Lord. And so, oh, the high priest has spoken. Therefore, we're going to do exactly like he says. And people do that. But when you know formula... When you know he needs to be on 105.5, but this guy is on crazy town 92.3, you know. You know. He can say, thus saith the Lord, all he wants. He could be among the learned class all he wants, and all he's doing is sowing seeds of judgment to himself. Why? Because he's not on 105.5, because you understand formula. You know who understands formula? The remnant. The remnant. You see, just like Chloe in Corinth. You see, in verse six, then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. He answered, I did not call. I did not call my son. Lie down again. In verse seven. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Now, something to understand here. Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. In the Hebrew, it translates as, Samuel didn't yet self-know or self-understand the Lord. And we'll explain this by example. And let's segment our lives, you know, in this example. Let's segment our lives. Let's say you and me, you and me. Let's say we're non-believers. We're non-believers, and then we become believers. And we become believers, we also understand that we're baby believers. And then say we have a good teacher. Say we have a good pastor, he's full package. And say that this pastor who's full package and the good deadly, say he teaches us in the ways of righteousness and then we become adolescent believers and then mature believers and then we become deadly the good deadly now in this example where we have these segments in our lives as believers where you know we you know when we were baby believers we knew of the lord and we responded to his goodness and we become believers But there's still much to understand. It's like, you know, when you're in kindergarten, you don't know calculus because you're in kindergarten. But in the course of time, you're going to know calculus. You're going to know arithmetic. You're going to know multiplication, multiplication. You're going to know how to spell. You're going to know the ABCs. There's a lot more to understand in this example when we're non-believers and we become believers we're baby christians and we're far from deadly we're not yet deadly but we're on the right track we got a good teacher a good pastor full package we're on the right track remember with jesus when he's speaking to the disciples he says you know always referring to them as servants your servants your servants but in the course of time, something happens where he says, no longer do I call you servants, but rather friends, because servants don't wonder what the master is doing. Friends or or, or, or or friends don't wonder. The servants wonder, well, what does the master want? What does the master want? That's what servants say. Well, what does the master want? And then the servants do it. The faithful servants, they do what the master wants. But friends of the master, they don't wonder because they just know. And we like to give our example like, you know, say you and me are servants in the master's home. You know, this is in Old Testament days, we're servants in the master's home, and it's day one of our servitude unto him. So we're servants. I don't know how he takes his eggs. You see? You don't know how, you know he likes to season his you know uh, 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 hash browns. You don't know what type of salad dressing he likes? You don't know how in what quantity. Does he like a little like a little like a little dry? Or is he like it like super loaded down with salad dressing? You don't know. I don't know. And so we sit down and have a meal and I make the eggs and hash browns, it's lunchtime, you make the salad, and you see our master, he's like adding all these things to it. You know, sprinkle some cheese here. Put some croutons here. Put some salt and pepper. Little Mrs. Dash. adding all these things., we're servants. We don't know. We are we just we're serving the master, but in the course of time, we're not we're still going to be servants, but you know the master he's going to call us friends now because he sits down to eat. He doesn't even, we don't need to put the the salt and pepper on the table anymore. We don't need to put the Mrs. Dash on the paper on the table anymore. You know, we don't need to put cream and sugar on the table anymore. We don't need to put any of that on the table anymore. You know why? Because we know. We know. And that's when Jesus says, hey, you know, you're no longer servants. I call you friends now. Why? Because they know. The disciples, they know. And yes, knowledge does have its limitations. Understand, knowledge has limitations because the disciples, they were not deadly. The disciples became deadly with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see? They became deadly with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whereas as disciples, they become friends And then as disciples, students, they become apostles, messengers. You see, very important to understand. Becoming deadly comes later with the disciples, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2. But what's so beautiful about coming to Christ and believing in Jesus, there's the baptism of Jesus and there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Very important to understand because a lot of denominations don't teach this because you look at Acts chapter 8 and you have a whole, Philip the Evangelist, remember, you have a whole bunch of Christians. They believe in Jesus. They have a, a, a fellowship. They're baptized in Jesus. Holy Spirit did not yet fall on them. You see Peter and John come to town. They perceive that they don't have the spirit. They lay hands on them, the body of believers, and then they receive the spirit. You see? Very important to understand. And so we see this segmented growth, so to speak. And I don't like saying segmented growth because it's too textbookish. It's too textbooky. I don't like that. Because it just happens. It just happens. You know why? Because it's a work of the Lord. It's a work of the Lord in a person and then through a person. Look at what the Lord did in the disciples. And then look at what the Lord did through the disciple former disciples who became apostles. And then look what the Lord did in them and through them with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see? With Samuel, here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, he knew of the Lord, and he responded to the Lord in serving him. But Samuel isn't deadly yet. He doesn't yet self-know. Remember how it translates in the Hebrew? That is something that comes with time. It comes with time when Samuel has even deeper intimacy with the Lord. Very important. We see something else in verse 7. Where verse 7 says, Nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to Samuel. You see? Don't forget there are two parties to intimacy. Samuel unto the Lord, the Lord unto Samuel. And don't forget the two parties to another intimacy. You unto the Lord and the Lord unto you. You see? And so verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Now Eli can perceive. Took him long enough. Took him long enough. Don't forget, Eli is high priest. He should have intimacy with the Lord. He's supposed to have intimacy with the Lord. But because he doesn't, his ability to perceive is off. You see, it took Eli long enough. His ability to perceive was off. And pastors today, pastors today, elders today, they should have intimacy with the Lord. They're supposed to have intimacy with the Lord. But when they don't, their ability to perceive is off. And in a lot of cases, way off. Nothing new under the sun. We look at this this household of priests with Eli and his home. Understand, there's nothing new under the sun. You see? But as for you, as for you, you know what to look for in a pastor. You know what to look. If you're a new listener, you're like, "Well, this guy says I know what to look for. I just started. I don't know what to look for. Go back and listen to our study through the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles. Thewayunderground.com. Thewayunderground.com. And then go to the pastor's uh, pastoral epistles section. And you can listen to those studies. It's all housed there for you so that you can grow. You can understand. You can mature in Christ. You can become deadly. Because the Bible absolutely says, submit to your pastor. We have pastors everywhere. Does the Bible say just submit to anyone? No, because with some of them, it's poison. With some of them, it's dangerous. With some of them, they're gonna, you're going to follow them and they're leading you to hell. You have pastors today who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You do that, you submit to that pastor, hey, you're going to burn in hell. Straight up weeping, gnashing of teeth. Straight up hellfire damnation. Straight up lake of fire. That's what happened. If you submit to the wrong pastor, we're talking Lake of Fire territory. I don't want that. You see? You have to understand formula. We have to understand formula. You know what to look for in a pastor. See? Very important to understand. In verse 9, Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now, the Lord, verse 10, now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Very interesting what we see here in verse 10. It's not just like, you know, the Lord spoke. The Lord came and stood. Very interesting. Very interesting what we see. Yet another theophany. The Lord came and stood. And called out as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, now let's pause here for a moment. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Samuel, let's pause here. So notice what we see where before it says, you know, uh, that the Lord had not yet revealed to Samuel, but notice what we see now. Now the word of the Lord is being revealed to Samuel. Now, something I want to say too about formula. The Lord calls Samuel four times. See, very important. And here in this last time, the Lord speaks to Samuel. But look at the counsel of the priest go to sleep, go to sleep. You see, that's the counsel of the high priest. Who's supposed to be on 105.5. He's supposed to be on the right frequency. He's supposed to have intimacy with the Lord. He's supposed to have ears to hear what the Lord says. He's supposed to be a vessel of the Lord. But when that's off. When it's way off. What does he say in counsel? Go to sleep. Go to sleep. The priest cannot perceive I wonder how many believers today truly truly even while babies in Christ I wonder how many truly hear from the Lord truly and then a brand new believer in Christ goes to seek counsel from their pastor Only to be told to go to sleep. I wonder. We're a new believer. And praise be to the Lord, we have a new believer. And then the new believer thinks he hears of the Lord or hears something. And doesn't know what's happening. Because they're babies. Babies don't understand certain things about. I mean, you, I mean you have a freshly born baby and you're holding the baby in your arms and you know, you're not going to, you know, to start teaching the baby, you're not going to set the baby on the couch and start teaching the baby calculus. No, that takes time. But I wonder how many baby believers, they don't, they don't understand what's happening. They just know something is happening. And a baby believer who goes to the pastor, And says, hey, pastor, I think the Lord has called out to me. And then the pastor says, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. The, The Lord, he doesn't do that anymore. That was for the dispensation in the book of Acts. So he doesn't do that anymore. So you know what? That was just, you know, whatever you ate last night. It's the modern day Eli. The modern day Eli. They're vast. There's a lot of them. A lot of them. The Bible says in the last days, there will be prophecy. There will be dreams. That's what the Bible says. In the last days, these things will happen. And then you have pastors who say, well, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Lord doesn't do that anymore that say about the promise of god that he would do those things in the last days the bible says the lord you know there will be dreams and visions in the last days and then the pastor says nope that was for two thousand years ago it's not going to happen you see they're fools the so-called pastors they do not have understanding they do not have perceiving no widespread revelation in the days of little Samuel. No widespread revolu- revelation in our time. Nothing new under the sun. For me, I love baby Christians. I love baby Christians. You know why? Because the baby Christians, the baby believers, they haven't been corrupted by false teachers they haven't had that corruption that often comes with the false. Te- well, that always comes with the false teacher, but they, they they haven't been exposed to it. And I love baby Christians because, you know, sometimes with the learned believers, you know, the learned believers, the, the so-called learned believers, what happens is that, you know, when they, you know, a, a so-called learned believer, they start to realize. And sometimes, you know, I have these conversations and it doesn't start out so nice sometimes where, you know, to talk to a christian you know sometimes i talk to reformed people i talk to reformed and yeah i'm reformed and you know sola scriptura sola scriptura you know the five solas oh yeah you know uh, you know uh, i love this teacher you know the 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 the, uh, max study bible good old mac i like max study bible oh yeah i learned from max study bible okay you really like mac did you know that he says go ahead and take the mark of the beast you'll still be saved what how dare you say that you you're a worker of satan how dare you say okay you can say that all you want but here listen to him you can hear that's his voice right look you can hear it right here that's what he says and then the reformed person is shocked whoa i got this mac study bible i like this mac guy i got his study bible and whoa he says take the mark of the beast He says that Christians can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Whoa. And I've had these conversations with Reformed and Calvinists and mainline Presbyterianism. And it's good that they realize certain things, but something has to happen where there's like a spiritual detox where they have to unlearn certain things. They have to unlearn a lot of things. In the ways of Calvinism, they have to unlearn the teachings of Calvinism, the teachings of Reformed theology. They have to unlearn certain things. And that, listen, it's a good thing when they unlearn. But to get there, that's a tough, one. it's a toughie. The baby believers, they don't have that spiritual baggage. They just don't know. They've never been exposed to that. You see? And praise be to the Lord. You know, it's you know, I have some friends that are Navy SEALs. And, you know, you know, what they tell me is that the easiest ones to train are the ones who have no scuba experience. Because when there is scuba, like, you know, a person, you know, it becomes a Navy SEAL or well, in that process of training, there are things that they have to unlearn. The easiest ones to train are the ones that, you know, don't have scuba experience, but the ones that do have scuba experience, they have to unlearn. They have to unlearn and then they have to relearn to a very specific skill set for operations. And it's the exact same when it comes to the faith. And Calvinists, you know, Calvinists, oh, I love this guy. I love this guy. Okay, he says, take the mark of the beast. How dare you say that? You're satanic. You're satanic. Listen to him. And they're shocked. I can't believe he says that. Well, he did. You know why he says that? Because according to doctrine, a certain doctrine permits that based on this doctrine. And all of a sudden, you take the truth of Scripture and the doctrine of Calvinism falls apart. The doctrine of Reformed theology, it falls apart. Why? Because it's been placed in the balance and found wanting. But then that person has to unlearn. You see, unlearn the doctrine of John Calvin, the teachings of Calvinism and Reformed theology, mainline Presbyterianism. Now, if you're Calvinist, you're you're Reformed, I love you. But go into, you know, thewayunderground.com and go to the Reformed section and you'll hear it. You'll see writings and you'll hear audio of Reformed teachers. Hear what they say. They say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll hear it. And then you can begin the process of unlearning. Now, if you're still a hardcore Calvinist and you're like, okay, I don't care what you say. I'm still aligning myself to this guy. Okay, listen. Listen to all the studies on that page. Very important to understand. Very important. We're living in the last days. Judgment comes first to the church. You see? There's an unlearning that has to happen. I have these conversations with Calvinists, former Calvinists. They ask me questions hey, what does this mean about this? Well, the Bible says this, okay? you're, You're right. The Bible does say this. But it is also written, you see? And the Bible says this and this and this, but it is also written. We always have to account for the many, 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 it is also written. You see? And then there's relearning. Just like the particular skill set for operations of Navy SEALs. Well, there's a particular skill set of doctrine as well. And the baby believer doesn't have that baggage. Doesn't have that baggage. And so we look at our study here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where the word of the Lord is officially revealed to Samuel. Notice, not revealed to the high priest. Not revealed to the priests, the high priests and the sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Not revealed, but revealed to little Samuel. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Except with little Samuel, look what's happening. Look what's revealed. Where behold, in verse 11, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. the Calvinist pastor would say, little Samuel, if little Samuel, you know, comes to Mac and receives counsel and, you know, tries to receive counsel. Hey Mac, what's happening? Hey, pastor Mac, what's happening? I see that you have your study Bible, pastor Mac, tell me what's happening. And so-called pastor Mac says that was for another dispensation. The Lord doesn't make ears tingle anymore. That was for another dispensation. Tingling ears? Nope, that doesn't happen anymore. We'll call that strange fire. And yet, here we are. Something to notice here in verse 11. The Lord doesn't just say that ears will tingle. Or, you know, the the Lord does say that ears will tingle. But not everyone's ears, not everyone's ears, only those who hear. Behold, he says, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. You see, not both ears of everyone will tingle. Both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Only those who hear Very interesting to see how the Lord works. Nothing new under the sun and the Lord never changes. Those with ears, it's the remnant, the remnant. You look at the judge's era. Look at what all the multitude was involved with. Look what all the masses were doing of all the tribes, even the priesthood. Even the priesthood. And then you look at Deborah. Ehud. Jephthah. Jephthah's daughter. Don't forget Yael. Remember Yael? I'm in love. I'm so in love with Yael because she's hardcore. But as New Covenant believers, you know, no tent pegs. You know, for my sisters in Christ, no tent pegs. That's Old Testament. We're New Covenant believers. You know, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're supernatural. They're spiritual. Those are our weapons. But Old Testament days, you know, the rules of engagement of Old Covenant. Wow, L. It's beautiful. You see? Very powerful when you understand how the Lord works. That yes, ears will tingle. But only those with ears. You see? The remnant. And then we see in verse 12, in that day, I will perform against Eli. Remember, Eli's high priest. Eli's the high priest. And the Lord is saying, when the word of the Lord is revealed, there's no widespread revelation, but little Samuel is receiving this revelation In that day, I will perform against Eli all that have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Remember last week's study with Eli's wicked sons? If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to chapter 2. Actually, listen to chapter 1 and then chapter 2. Very important to understand because God told Eli that his wicked sons would die. Would die straight up. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. We, We know exactly why. Why is it that the Lord said Eli's sons would die? Why? Because wrong formula. Wrong formula. And it's not wrong formula instantly. No, it's wrong formula. And, you know, you see the mercy of God because, well, because he didn't kill them instantly. They could have been cleaned up. They could have been right with the Lord. But they had a choice to make. You see? God told Eli that he would kill his sons. Wickedness. They were wicked. You say, whoa, that's heavy. I say, amen. It's very heavy. An Old Testament example of the very, very things that Brother James tells us. Let not many be teachers. You see? Not everyone not everyone is going to know what's happening here in this 1 Samuel chapter 3 generation. Not everyone is going to know what's happening. Only those with ears. Only a remnant. When the sons of Eli, remember, they're priests. They're priests. Eli's the high priest. And when the sons die, there are people who will think godly men have died. Oh, these godly men, they died in service to the Lord. But the remnant only the remnant will know god judged them the lord put an end to them you see only the remnant will know because they it's only the remnant whose ears will tingle the masses oh these were such beautiful godly men And they served in the temple, they did this, they did that, and all in service to the Lord, and oh yes, and let us mourn, let us mourn, let us mourn. But the remnant will understand God killed them because of their wickedness. The remnant, knowing that, how do you think they're going to be received if the remnant says to everybody else, hey, God killed them? How do you think they're going to be looked at? Oh, you're too judgmental. You're so judgmental. You're so mean-spirited. God is a God of love. Why would he do that? You see? Dear old dad, the high priest, Eli, is not without excuse. He was complicit. Remember our study from last week? Why do you say he's complicit? Why do you say he's complicit? Because we remember from our study from last week, he honored his son's More than the Lord. He knew what his sons were doing. Hey, sons, you shouldn't do the sex like you do. Hey, sons, you shouldn't, you know, these ladies over here, you shouldn't do the sex like you do. Instead of saying, hey, that's not happening. That's not happening. And just straight up laying the hammer down. But no, that doesn't happen with Eli. He wants to be the friend. You ever see parents like that? Hey, son, I want to be your friend. Sometimes parents, they become complicit in the wickedness of their children. In honoring children more than the Lord. Remember, God never changes. As new covenant believers, what is it that the Lord says? Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's what our Lord says. You say, oh, this is old covenant. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3. No, 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 no. The Lord never changes. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Do you love father or mother? More than Jesus? Okay, you made your choice. Now I'm going to make mine. You're not worthy of me. That's what Matthew 10.37 says. You want to love son or daughter more than me? Okay, you made your choice. You're not worthy of me. You see? That's what Matthew 10.37 says. There's a lot of Eli's today. Many, many Eli's in these last days in homes and in churches. You see? And of this Eli, look what the Lord is revealing to little Samuel. Little Samuel. Little Samuel. He's not a priest. He's not high priest. You see? Look at what the Lord is revealing. There's no widespread revelation. The Lord isn't speaking to Eli. The Lord isn't speaking to Hophni. The Lord isn't speaking to Phinehas. The Lord is speaking to little Samuel, who's not priest, about judgment of the priesthood. In verse 13, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. You see? Now, I I wonder, wonder, wonder what the Calvinist and Reformed person would say. You see, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. The Calvinist. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. It is an absolute biblical truth, but we have to account for the many, many, many. It is also written. Something that Calvinists and Reformed willfully and woefully forget. The many, many, it is also written. Remember, God absolutely did have mercy on Eli and his sons. Absolutely. And now, here in verse 13, 1 Samuel chapter 3, what do we see? Judgment on Eli and his sons. You see? You see God's mercy on Eli and his sons, and then here we are in verse 13, and now you see judgment on Eli and his sons. What happened? Did God change his mind? Nope. Eli and his sons, they changed their hearts. And the formula for the effectuation of God's promises no longer applied to them. You see? And what God is doing? He's simply reacting to the choice of Eli. He's simply reacting and responding to the choice of Phineas. He's simply responding to the choice of Hophni. The house of Eli is no longer under mercy. The house of Eli is now under judgment. Why? Let's continue verse 13. For the iniquity which he knows. You see, Eli, fully aware of the wickedness of his sons. For the iniquity which he knows, which his sons made themselves vile. Remember, it's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. The Calvinist and reform would say, well, they're predestined for hell. They're predestined for hell. God is the one who made them commit wickedness. They might even quote, quote R.C. Sproul. They might even quote Sproul and say, God wills all things that come to pass. God created sin. They might, they might quote John Calvin himself and say, since the arrangement of all things is in the hand of God, he arranges that individuals are born who are doomed from the womb to certain death and are to glorify him by their destruction. The Calvinist and Reformed, they might quote Sproul, they might quote Calvin, they might even quote Mac. They can quote dogmas all they want. But all of it, all of it must align with Scripture. It must align with Scripture if you and I are to accept it as truth, as doctrine to follow. You see, always accounting for the many, many, it is also written. Very important to understand in these last days. In these last days. And since the doctrine and dogmas of Calvinism and Reformed theology, they fail to align with Scripture. You know what we do? We take those theories and we toss them in the garbage. The sons of Eli God didn't make them vile because there are doctrines of men that say God created sin. God wills all things to come to pass. God is the one who made them doomed from the womb to certain death. God is the one who, you know, in their death, in their predestination to hell, they are to glorify God by their destruction. That's what certain doctrines say. But you read the Bible, You look at the sons of Eli. They made themselves vile. They did it themselves. They had a choice to make. Oh, but God has mercy on whom he has mercy. They received God's mercy. Remember chapter 2? They received God's mercy and yet they still made themselves vile. And now... They're on the receiving end of no longer mercy. They're on the receiving end of God's judgment. You see? They did receive God's mercy. And they did have promises that they could absolutely lean on. Absolutely. But only when the formula was right. You see? Eli's sons made themselves vile. Do the, do the vial have effectuation of God's promise of blessing? The answer is no. No. You say, okay, okay. Well, that's too bad for Eli's sons. But notice, dear old dad, he's not off the hook. Look at the rest of verse 13. And he did not restrain them. Remember, the iniquity, which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Good job, dad. Good job, dad. You failed. I want to say something to dads. I love you, but remember the millstone. Very important. I love you. If you're dad, I love you. But you cannot forget the millstone. A lot of men today, a lot of dads today, they pin the responsibilities on the wife. But remember our study in Ephesians. Dad, the buck stops with you. Don't forget. Oh, but I'm the bread earner. I leave early in the morning for work and I do hard work for 12 hours. That's nice. The buck still stops with you. You see? Today, you see parents, you know, they post it on social media. Oh, look, my little kid, he's naughty. Look what he did. It's all about the gram. They like the social media. They like the likes. They want to go viral as they exploit their kids. And in some cases, they exploit the wickedness of their kids. Oh, look, it's so cute. Look what my little son did. Look how cute it is. I want to go viral, exploiting the wickedness. Son grows up. Son gets physically stronger. And son has never been corrected. Son has never felt the sting of correction. Where, you know, when little boy, when little son, when he was four years old, he wanted the cookie, he he took the cookie. He ate the cookie. But when he's older, he's got the facial hair, he's got the muscles. Son wants and he takes. That's not good. Oh, but it was so cute when he was three years old, when he, four, he was four years old and he wanted a cookie. But now he's 23. And what son wants, son takes. You see? Dear old dad, never restrained little son. And both are on the fast track to hell. The fast track to burning, hellfire, damnation, straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth lake of fire. Count the cost. I mean, if that's you, if you're listening, you're like, whoa, I've never heard this before. Number one, praise be to the Lord. You're hearing it now. And since you're hearing it now, you are officially without excuse. But if it's you, if you're the dad, if you're the son, if you're the daughter, I mean, if you you're a daughter, when you were three years old, you took the cookie jars, you know, where you opened the cookie. I mean, my, my mom and dad said, you know, no, no more cookies, and you, you know, you took cookies and you know, everybody thought it was cute because you were a little three years old. But now you're you not know, 30 years old, and whatever you want, you take. Whether you're male or female, if that's you, you might be the parent. Mom or dad, son or daughter, if that's you. You gotta repent. You got to repent and get right with the Lord. Now, I say you must repent. But you have a choice to make. You can heed your ways and continue about in your doings or you can heed my counsel. And I say you must repent and get right with the Lord. And if you're done heeding what you perceive to be right. If you're done heeding, doing things according to your own ways, and you heed this counsel to repent and get right with the Lord, whether you're mom, dad, son, or daughter, and you do desire to get right with the Lord, hit pause. And Listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ And you commit your life to Christ and you know what happens we get you cleaned up We get you cleaned up And now you're right with the Lord you do that now you're right with the Lord and praise be to the Lord But there's another problem. You're a baby You're a baby believer and babies are beautiful. We have to grow and that's why we say let us walk together, you and me, let us walk together, well, you know, you might be listening as a family, you know, mom, dad, you know, and daughter, and you know, you're just really, I mean, dad, daughter's, you know, 25 years old and hasn't left the home, and you know, you're old guy, old, and you know, you're like, whoa, this is, he's describing us, he's describing our family, and you know, like, wow, daughter, you're pretty messed up, and you know, like, wow, you know, it's because I never, you know, I I never disciplined you when you were a kid, and you might be realizing, like, oh my goodness, I feel like dirt, I feel like dirt, well, hold the phone there, Feeling like dirt is for the dirty. But when you come to Christ, you're no longer dirty. You see? Feeling like dirt is for the dirty. And that's why we say, let's get you cleaned up. You don't have to feel like dirt. And getting right with the Lord, you don't have to feel like dirt. And so we get you cleaned up, you don't feel like dirt. Why? Because you're clean. You're pure before the Lord. And so you have like an adult daughter, you have, you know, mom and dad, and now you're all babies in Christ. You're my brothers, you're my sisters in Christ, and you know, praise be to the Lord, but you're still babies in the faith. And now we have to grow together. You see? And if that's you, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, we grow together, we journey together, but then there's something else. Go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 all the way to our studies all through the New Testament. You're going to understand a whole lot more about formula. Formula, 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 because it must be right in you. It must be right in me. And then we go and look for a church. And so it's like, wow, I'm going to look for a church. The Bible says I have to submit myself to the pastor. So I'm going to look for a pastor and you're going to find something out. And it breaks my heart. There's not a lot of people that you can submit to. Not a lot. One of many signs of the last days. But it's only the remnant that understands that. It's only the remnant that understands. Because you're going to have people that want their ears to be tickled you're gonna want you're gonna see people they want their ears to be scratched and then you're gonna see pastors that will whisper sweet nothings they will gladly whisper sweet nothings to them but because you know formula you're gonna realize like oh my goodness i can't submit myself to this guy because this guy's a freak show i can't go to this church because their pastors are child molesters I can't go to the church because their pastors are hirelings. I can't go to this church because their pastors have, you know, straight up false doctrine. I can't go to this church because they say, the pastor says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Good old Mac with the study Bible. And he says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. I cannot submit to that guy. So where do we go? Where do we go? It's the way of the remnant. I firmly, firmly believe that the last day's church will by and large be the home fellowship as the mainline church enters God's judgment. Just like we see of the priests, of the priesthood, but of the overseer class. Wrong formula and God's judgment. Or, yes, you know, just like with Eli and his kids, they did receive mercy. But when the formula changes in them, God's judgment as apostasy spreads, as apostasy gets worse. And it's prophesied to happen, one of many signs, but it's only the remnant that will understand. Only the remnant. You see? Look what God does with Eli. Remember, he's high priest, mind you, who refused to repent and get right with God, who is now complicit in the wickedness of his sons. Verse 14 here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by a sacrifice or offering forever. Whoa, that is heavy. You know what that means? The door of mercy it's closed for Eli and his sons. The iniqu- Look at verse 14. The iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Well, the door was open and the house of Eli walked in. They received God's mercy. And in the course of time, what happened? They walked out. And now it's too late. The door is closed. Whoa. You say, okay, okay, that's heavy, yes, but this is Old Testament. Well, hold the phone there, my friend. I love you, but go and listen to our studies in Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 6. Where the Bible says it is impossible in certain scenarios, it becomes impossible to restore a person. This is to new covenant believers, you see. The re-crucifying of Jesus Christ. In the era of 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is what the Lord is revealing to little Samuel. Remember, he's he's not a priest. He's not a priest. And yet the Lord is revealing this to Samuel, little Samuel, in the land where there is also no widespread revelation. Remember, we're in the judge's era The word of God was unknown. The priests were deaf. There's a famine of the word of God. And there's little Samuel. And never, ever, ever forget in the life of little Samuel, what do we see in the background? Praying Mama. Praying Mama. Beautiful and lovely Hannah. Heir of Abraham. And I so can't wait to give her a hug. Hannah. Verse 15, we continue. In verse 15. So Samuel laid down until morning and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Now put yourself, put, just for a moment, just for a moment, put yourself in little Samuel's sandals. Number one. Notice who's not opening the doors of the house of God. The priests aren't. Eli isn't. Hophni isn't. uh, uh, Phineas isn't. But little Samuel is. So put yourself in little Samuel's sandals. You know Eli is high priest and you respect the position. You know he has sons who are in the priesthood and you respect the positions. And the Lord reveals to you, that there's no more atoning for the house of Eli which means they're dirty with no means to get clean and to be unclean that's a big deal that's a huge deal you see i mean <laughs> when you put yourself in little samuel's sandals what do you say what do you say The the Lord isn't speaking to Eli. The Lord speaks to you. And when he speaks to you, he speaks of judgment of Eli and his house. And there's no more atoning. What do you say? I mean, let's put this another way. You're youthful in knowledge. I mean, Eli has the degrees, so to speak. Eli has the, 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 the credence, so to speak. Eli has the masters and the doctorate in theology, so to speak. They have the knowledge base. The Hophni and Phinehas, oh yeah, they got the knowledge. They're part of the priesthood, and here you are, not even a priest, and you're serving in temple, and the Lord reveals judgment to you. What do you say to the high priest? What do you say to the one who is not youthful in knowledge? You are. You see. I mean, say, for example, you know, a pastor, so-called pastor. Yeah, he's got the degree. Yeah, he went to Bible college. He went to seminary. And you're a baby Christian. You don't have the full understanding of the word of God. And, And don't forget, you know, when we say the full understanding, don't forget the Bible says those who know, know in part. Those who know, know in part. So there's people who say, oh yeah, I know everything about the Bible. I know everything about the Bible. But don't forget, those who know, know in part. Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit, but it's not the greatest gift. Those who know, know in part. So you have these, you know, the Mac guys, the study Bible guys. Those who know, know in part. And say, you don't have that knowledge base. You just don't have the depth of knowledge in the Word of God because that's something that comes in time. You're a baby Christian. You're in preschool or kindergarten or first grade in the faith, which is a beautiful thing. And say, the pastor comes to you. Oh, how dare you come at me with that? You don't know the Bible like I do. How dare you say that? You can't even cite this. You can't even cite that. But I can because I have this knowledge. And I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. And look, I got these degrees. I got these certificates. And oh, look at me. I'm a pastor. It's more scary for the pastor. It's more scary for the pastor because the pastor is officially without excuse you see eli he's without excuse and say for example the lord speaks to you and when he speaks to you you're just you're just a baby christian i say just a baby christian not just a baby christian i mean just a baby christian like you know you're just a baby Christian, you know, you don't have the the knowledge base of this guy, the knowledge base of this guy and that guy and that pastor and, you know, this ministry leader and this, you know, uh, the Mac with the study Bible and you don't have that knowledge base. Don't forget, knowledge, number one, it's a gift of the Spirit. Number two, knowledge being a gift of the Spirit, it must align with the truth of God's Holy Word. And sometimes the so-called teacher, sometimes the so-called pastor, sometimes the so-called learned one have a depth of knowledge. But their depth of knowledge is in poison. You see? Very important to understand. So say, for example, a pastor, the so-called learned one, just, hey, don't, don't come at me with this because you don't know the Bible like I do. I know the Bible like the back of my hand and this and that. And then the Lord gives you, he speaks to you in a vision. And what he reveals to you is judgment on that pastor. And you're just, say you became a Christian like a week ago. And then the Lord reveals judgment to you for that pastor. What do you say? (laughs) That's scary. Because number one, you don't fully understand what is happening. I mean, don't forget little Samuel. He asked Eli, you know, he he came to Eli, you know, here I am. There is this innocence. I love it so much. It's innocence. What do you say? That's scary. That's a Samuel in verse 15. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. What do we see in verse 15, the, the last part, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision that's scary. I mean, I, if you've ever been to university, you know, you say you have a professor in whatever class and you're like a freshman. I mean, what does a freshman dare say to the professor? You see, that's scary. What does Samuel, little Samuel, say to the high priest? In this example we gave, what would you say to such a pastor who thinks he's a pastor? You see, what do you say to the one who is not youthful in knowledge? If there's biblical knowledge there, you see, and what's unfolding here in first Samuel chapter three in verse 15, what's unfolding is something we very often see in the church today, pastors who think very highly of themselves. Look at me. Look at me, look at me, I have all this knowledge, I know the Bible, I went to seminary, I went to Bible college. And they boast in the very things that amplify reason for judgment. You See? Because with the knowledge of the Bible means something else. Such a person is without excuse before the living God. See, verse 16, then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, Notice the high priest called. the high priest Eli calls for little Samuel. Talk about being on edge, you know, the, the nerves of little Samuel. But remember, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Now, Eli calls him. Picture, I mean, picture that. That's scary. Samuel is afraid to tell Eli the vision from the Lord. And so Samuel says in, in verse 16, he answered, here I am. Here I am. I wonder if in the back of his mind, if he's thinking, please don't ask. 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 And verse 17. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Wow. Eli, the high priest asked this question. What did the Lord reveal to you? The very thing that Samuel was scared about. And Eli continues, Please do not hide it from me. Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Okay. Okay. He's asking for it. He asked. He wants to know. Okay. Verse 18, then Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. You know, I love little Samuel. I'm so in love with little Samuel. Yes, he was scared. That's scary. I mean, if you put yourself in those sandals, that's scary. Just like a freshman talking to the professor, you know, a tenured professor. That's scary. And yes, he was scared, but he's also very brave. Very brave. In the life of a believer, there will absolutely be times where you are scared to say something. And there may even be times when people request your input on matters. Number one, the formula. It must be right in you. It must be right in you. You cannot be a hypocrite. Remember, only the clean can clean. You cannot be a hypocrite. And when the formula is right in you, there will absolutely be times when you're scared to speak the truth. I mean, you might have a friend who wants to know your thoughts on a matter. Uh, family member who wants to know your opinion. A parent who wants to know your feedback. Maybe even another believer. And they want to know what you think about a specific subject matter. And when you speak, you must be prepared for what happens next. You must be prepared. Because... When the formula's right in you, someone might ask your opinion on a certain subject matter. And the formula's right in you, you're not speaking as a hypocrite. You're speaking as pure. Be prepared for what happens next because you might earn a brother or sister in Christ where you know somebody comes to you and says, hey, what's your opinion about uh, this choice I made? And you can say, well, I think it was foolishness. But I think it was foolishness because of the Bible says this, and you did that. The Bible says this, and you did that. The Bible says this, and you did that. So the Bible reveals that you made some pretty poor choices, and the Bible says that when that happens, you're going to reap what you're, you sow, and now you're reaping what you sow, and you're asking me my in, what I think about the matter, and this is what I think about, about the matter. I think you're reaping what you have sown because you made these decisions that did not honor the Lord. Now, you do that. You might earn a brother or sister in Christ because someone might, a brother or sister in Christ might come to you and say, what's your opinion? And you say, well, you made a a poor decision for this reason, this reason, this reason, this reason. And look, I love you, but hey, you made the poor decision, now you reaping what you've sowed. And then the brother or sister might repent. They're going to be shocked, but they might repent. When they repent, based on your input that you gave them, And you're clean remember only the clean can clean and they might repent and get right with the lord and what's happening is that you earn a brother or sister in christ but if they don't repent they're gonna get very angry how dare you say that about me you might earn a brother or sister in christ you might even earn a punch because someone doesn't repent. You know, someone repents, they say, wow, you really are my brother in Christ. Wow, you know, you because you didn't withhold this from me. Wow, you really are my sister in Christ because you didn't withhold truth from me. But how dare you say this to me? And they punch you. Or they might not punch you, but they want to punch you. Instead, they just leave you. See, you speak truth. Don't expect people to like you. Don't expect the masses to like you. You might earn a brother. You might earn a sister. You might earn a punch. You might earn loneliness. You might earn a situation where nobody wants to be with you. You might be a pariah. You might even earn death. Be prepared for what happens next because that's out of your control. That's out of your control. Rejoice in what is happening, in what you can control. Because what you can control is you're making the choice to honor God. You did not honor men more than God. Rejoice. Rejoice, 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 and remember the words spoken by our Lord. Turn really quick to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, our Lord says this Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think I came, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father. Pause here for a moment. Let's just pause here. Verse 35. I have come to set a man against his father. You know what that word is in the Greek? The De caso. De caso in the Greek. You know what that is? It means to alienate. Straight up, to alienate. Our Lord, Son of the Most High God, our Master, our Savior, our everything, He is saying, I have come to alienate you. See? Not to bring peace. To alienate. And that's what he's saying. I have come to alienate. To take a man and alienate him from his father. We see in verse 35. Let's continue. A daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. You see, the formula is right in you. Forget the pastors. Forget the ministry leaders. Forget the teachers. Forget the friends. Forget the church. Forget all the family, relatives, uncles, aunts, even immediate family. Forget husband. Forget wife. Forget Sons, forget daughters, forget moms, forget dads, forget all of that. And the formula inside of you. You, I speak very individually now. If the formula is right in you. Do you have enemies in your own home? Are you alienated in your own home? Are you alienated among your own family? Are you alienated in your own town, your own city, your own workplace? Are you alienated in church? Are you alienated among other believers? That's hardcore. Because if the formula is right in you, understand what's happening. It's our Lord who has done that. It's our Lord who has done that in you, through you, and to you. It's our Lord who has done it. Remember, he says, verse 35, I have come to the caso. I have come to alienate. I mean, look at the times we're in. Do you feel out of place? you ever just look around and you're just like, I do not belong here. I don't belong here. You ever look around here? Your, your, your family get-togethers. You're at a family get-together. And you're just, oh my goodness, I, I I, I, don't fit. I don't fit in. You go to church with uh, 10,000 people, 10,000 member church. You're like, oh my, I, I, I can't fit in. Everybody's talking about fellowship. Oh, yeah, fellowship of the saints, fellowship of the saints, fellowship of the saints. Come on. It's it's it's, it's a happy hour. Let's go, you know, let's get some beers. Let's have a Bible study with beers. And you're just like, well, I don't I don't fit in. Oh, it's a nice, you know, we're going to have a couple's fellowship. You know, we're going to have a couple's fellowship. And oh, yeah, we're going to just drink it up and have some wine and drink this. And, you know, somebody spices up the party and brings the hard stuff. And you're just like, I don't fit. You're with other Christians, you go to church, and just, I just don't fit here. And remember, the formula is right in you. The formula of the remnant, it's right in you. You must understand and rejoice. That's the Lord's work. When the Lord says, I have come to alienate, and you're alienated, that's the work of the Lord. You'll absolutely be alienated. Understand what God is doing. You don't belong here. This place is not your home. We're just passing by. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. Our home is paradise. That's our home, and that's where we're going. And the remnant saints of these last days need to understand this. Listen, most Christians don't like what I say. A lot of Christians don't like the words I say. They want to do their sex, and I tell them, hey, look, you can't do the sex. You know, you want to invite you, you wanna be a good Christian and invite this girl, this lady, into your house, and she wants to sex up all your kids. And you say, listen, you need to repent. And they get mad at you. If you alienated. People say, oh, we're going to have a nice family get together and, you know, uncle this guy and aunt this guy. So what? Uh, they're going to bring their paraphernalia. They're going to bring their bongs. They're going to bring their, you know, the uh, the blunts. They're going to do all this. And so uh, let them party. Let them be festive. Oh, we're family. We're family. And you say, wow, I don't belong here. everywhere you go you're alienated everywhere you go you go to the store you're alienated people try to talk politics with you you're alienated people try to talk about school with you you're alienated because hey let's say this you know I am getting you know straight d's in my exam let's go let's have this you know our, our study time but let's go you know let's do it let's uh, let, let, let's spice things up and do it while we're baked and you're a student you're just, I don't belong here. Oh, everybody that goes out and parties, they do all that. And you're just like, wow, I don't, I don't belong here. And then you have family. Oh, family's everything. Family's everything. Family's everything. Oh, yeah, you know. So what if Uncle Uncle Smitty does his blunts? And so what if, you know, Aunt Whatever does her alcohol? And so what if she wants to bring whiskey? Oh, let her do her thing. Family is everything. Family is everything. And you're just. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. That's the remnant. It's only the remnant that understands. You see, Laodicea, they get mad at the words we speak. They get mad at the world. How dare you're so mean? You're so mean. How dare you say I can't do the sex? How dare you say I can't do the crack? How dare you say I can't cook my spoons? God is love. God is love. And you come at me like this. You tell me I can't do this. How dare you? You're so mean. Laodicea does not like Philadelphia. Laodicea does not like Smyrna. But there's a problem. Laodicea? has no Christ because Jesus is on the outside you feel alienated rejoice rejoice and I have these conversations with believers male female young old in tears sometimes I don't fit in I go to church and they're getting crazy I go to look for a church. I can't find a place. They're crazy. We're in the last days. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because you being alienated, that's what the Lord is doing. It's His doing. Remember, it's the, Matthew 10:34. The Prince of Peace is saying, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Peace on earth. No, it's the Prince of Peace brings peace in the heart. You see? And the Prince of Peace who brings peace in the heart says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Some translations say but division. For I have come, in verse 35, to the castle. I have come to alienate. So when you feel alienated, rejoice. Because it's the work of the Son of the Most High. It's His doing and what He's done in you. You see? It's the way of the remnant. It's the way of the remnant. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the one who says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, listen, if you're listening and you realize, like, you know, you might be a Christian and you say, like, whoa, you know what? I'm a Christian, but I never heard it broken down like this. I'm a Christian, but you know what? My pastor's disqualified. I'm a Christian, but my teacher who I submit to, he, she disqualified. Wrong formula. I'm a Christian, but whoa, whoa. My church is Laodicea. Listen, jump ship. Jump ship. There's only one way. It's always been one way. But in the course of time, Satan has muddied the waters. Remember, this I love, this I love, this I love. But Jesus says, this I have against you. And What does he say? You got to repent. Repent. It's just not a matter of jumping ship. It's jump ship, repent, and welcome aboard? Well, well, we'll bring you aboard, and then you can repent. You know, just you know, just just so you're on 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 dry ground. So jump ship, welcome aboard, and repent. Let's get you cleaned up, and then we journey together. It's so simple. Remember, our Lord, he he doesn't say you know, you know, uh, uh, he he's the one who says. Come to me, you know, yes, come to me. But he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are his words. Those are his promises. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes people are like, wow, you know, this yoke is not easy. This burden is not light. Well, there's something wrong there. Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you say his yoke is not easy and his yoke is not light, then there's a problem. There's a disconnect. Who has taught you? Who has taught you? It could be that the reason why his yoke is not easy and his yoke is not light is because you have the baptism of Jesus only and not the baptism of the Holy Spirit like what we see in Acts chapter 8. It could be. There could be other things, too. There are certain. For effectuation, there are certain things that need to happen. Obedience. Obedience. Package deal. Faith without works is dead. Faith and works cannot be separated. You see, listen to our study through the book of James. You'll understand more. You're going to feel alienated more and more and more and more. It could be like with family. You're like, wow, I I just, I mean, it's kind of sad to say like you're with family and everybody says family's everything, family's everything, family's everything. And you're just sitting there like, I don't belong here. Straight up, I feel alienated. Where, you know, five years ago, everything was fine. You were chummy and everything was fine. And people did their drinking. People did their blunts and... Hey, everything, cooking spoons, hey, no bad, family's everything, family's everything. But within that five years, what has happened is that the Lord is doing a work in you. Where it's five years later and you're starting to realize this feels less like family. And you're starting to realize there's a heavenly family, heirs of Abraham. These are things that the remnant saint has to understand and must understand because the days will become more difficult. More trying. More trials. More tribulations. They're going to intensify. And here we are in 2023. And this is a walk in the park. This is a walk in the park. When you look at the entire scope of things that will come to pass, This is a walk in the park. And already apostasy is on overdrive. Already saints are falling away. Already it's happening. And it's only going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. If you're in a church where the formula is right, you're probably going to have for sure less than 100. Most likely less than 50. 50. Very likely 10. <laughs> Do not leave. Do not leave. I don't care about the bright lights in big city like in the case of Damas. Do not leave. The fellowship of the saints, the fellowship of the remnant saints. That's a huge deal in the last days. A huge, huge deal. Do not leave. When you're in a church where the formula is right, you must not leave. Pastor, full package. Elder, all the overseers, full package. The saints, you know, the formula is right. Always accounting for babies because babies are going to make mistakes. But you all you have to be cautious of leaven where babies stay babies. That's not good. The overseers have a job to do. You see? And if you're in a fellowship, where the formula is right, do not leave. Because these are fellowships that will be safe havens in the last days. As, As things get worse and worse and worse, and the gifts and the moving and the power of the Spirit, they will be known. They will be known. They will provide comfort. They will provide guidance. They will provide sustenance when things go dark. And it's already getting dark. But they're going to get darker and darker. You must not leave. If you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, you must not stay. You walk into a fellowship and there's five people. If the formula is right, praise be to the Lord. You see? You walk into the church. I've been in churches of 14,000 people. And I've been in a church with two people. And if I were to tell you where Love Feast was found, you'd be blown away. Blown away. The Fellowship of the Saints is of great importance. I don't want to say utmost importance because the Home Fellowship is very key in the last days. But it's of great importance. Fellowship of the Saints the power of the spirit, the moving of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, the body caring for the body, the remnant caring for the remnant. Very important in these last days where there will be sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, but there is the family of Abraham. The family of Abraham, heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a big deal. It is no small thing. It is a huge thing. It is very huge. And as we get deeper into the events of the last days, look what's happening. I mean, thewayunderground.com, that website, thewayunderground.com, go to the news section. You'll see the news section. Look what's happening. Magog. Things that are happening in the Middle East, China, Asian countries, kings of the East, the Euphrates River being dry. You know, prophetically speaking, the Euphrates River that's being dry, that's for the kings of the East to come to war against Israel, the Battle of Armageddon. These are things that are happening. Ceremonies with the red heifers in preparation for the building of the third temple. These are things that are happening today. It's on overdrive. It's happening. Go to thewayunderground.com. Look at the news section and you'll see it. We are in the last days. As we get further, you're going to feel more alienated. Like you just don't belong here. You're going to feel alienated. In your own home, among your own family, among your own relatives, in church, among Christians, you're going to feel it. And if you don't know the truth, you're going to be discouraged. But when you do know the truth, you're going to be rejoicing. You see? Very important. Jesus says here, when we look at verse 37, we're still in Matthew, but you look at verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Of all the multitudes that followed Jesus everywhere, when Jesus carried his cross, where did they go? Where did they go? Because when Jesus was walking around feeding people, they're, yeah, sure. I'll follow Jesus if I got food in my belly. Remember Matthew, you do the census in John chapter 6? In John chapter 6, 5,000 plus people. I mean, it could be much more depending on, you know, you wives and kids and number of kids. It could be much more. But we'll just say 5,000 plus. The beginning of John chapter 6, 5,000 plus the end of john chapter 6 12 what happened you get to the end of you know when jesus is on the cross zero the followers of jesus thousands upon thousands upon thousands became 12 became 11 became zero you see and Jesus says here in verse 38, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. See, when Jesus is walking around feeding people, oh yeah, yeah thousands of people. But when Jesus turns around and says, you're only following me because your bellies are full. You're not following me because of the things I say. And then what happened? People say, okay, I'm done. I'm, not, I'm, I'm done. He wants to hurt my little feelers like this. Okay, I'm done. I like him when he feeds my belly but he wants to hurt my little feelers like this. Okay. I'm not following him. And people left him. And then he turns to the disciples. He says, does this offend you? One of the signs of last days, many will be offended. We live in a generation today where everybody's offended. The snowflake generation. everybody's offended. You say one little thing. Boom. I'm offended. How dare you say that? How dare you say, okay, sign of the times. One of many signs. And Jesus turns to the disciples. Does this offend you? And even the disciples were offended. And there were hundreds. And they followed his. You you read John chapter 6. They followed him no more. They were done. How dare Jesus say I'm offended. And you know what? I am offended. I'm offended that he says I'm offended. I'm offended that he asked me if I'm offended. And you know what? I'm offended. So I'm done. And then there were 12. You see? Jesus is arrested. And there were zero. Well, there was eleven, and then there was zero. Where did they go? Where did they go? When Jesus took his cross, where did the multitudes go? You see? And our Lord Himself had his lonely walk with the cross on his back. Alienated from the world. And our Lord tells us to do exactly the same in following Him. Yeah, they're gonna hate you. Yeah, they might like you. They might like you at first, but then you're gonna speak more and speak more and speak more, and then how how dare he say that? How dare she say this? And then they're gonna hate you. You carry your cross. You carry your cross. You see, where were the multitudes when Jesus was carrying his cross? Not following him. When you carry your cross, you're going to be alone. You're going to be alienated. But rejoice because it's the working of the Lord. It's his work. He says, I have come to alienate specifically for the, the very thing that you feel. Jesus says, I've come to do exactly that. That's what I'm doing in you. And in the case of Eli, the high priest, he honored his kids more than God. You see? You know, verse 37 of Matthew, or Matthew 10 He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, you know, the word became flesh. In the beginning was God. The word was with God. And the word uh, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then you read further. and And the word became flesh. Eli is doing what the Lord says don't do. Eli honored his kids more than God. Little Samuel, he honors the Lord. Yeah, he's scared. I mean, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 3 now. Little Samuel, he's scared. But the high priest wants to know, okay. Since you want to know, Eli, okay. I'm going to tell you. You ask for it, I'm going to tell you. And so let's go back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18. Look what Eli says. And he says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's kind of sad what we see happen with Eli. He's high priest. He knew his, he he knew that his sons were involved in wickedness. He knew about his sons the whole time and he did nothing to correct them. You see? And the Lord told Eli, not directly, not directly. Remember, Eli isn't on 105.5. Eli isn't on the right frequency. The Lord told Eli it wasn't directly. It was through another. Remember our study last week in chapter 2? And the Lord told Eli of his displeasure and what the penalty would be. And the Lord is confirming it now. Again, through another little Samuel. Eli, high priest who has the knowledge. He's without excuse. He's without excuse. And he knows it. And it breaks my heart. It hurts. Because it didn't have to be this way. It wasn't even designed this way. I mean, remember our study in Exodus? The blueprints blueprints that the Lord revealed to Moses? It wasn't designed. These aren't the blueprints. It's not the blueprints for the priest to sex it up with the people. that's That's not the blueprints at all. The blueprints are holiness. That's the blueprints. You see? But through waywardness and Dear old dad didn't correct his sons. Through waywardness, here we are. Here we are. Look what has happened in the home of Eli. It is the fruit of his own doing. But not so with Samuel. Little Samuel, he's not even a priest. And the Lord is working in him and through him. You see? Not so with Samuel. Not so with praying mama. See, the remnant, an Old Testament example of the remnant. Beautiful. I meant sad for, you know, multitudes, but I teach the remnant. I am specifically called to teach the remnant. Verse 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, there's only one word that never fails, and that's the word of God, the word of the Lord. What does this say of Samuel? I mean, verse 19, so Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. You know what that says of Samuel? Deep intimacy, deep intimacy with the Lord. Not faked, not hypocritical, the real deal. In verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Very interesting because in verse, you see, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Established here in the Hebrew is built up and nursed as a prophet. You see, in little Samuel, the formula is right. In little Samuel, the formula is right. But we can never forget the earlier formula that found in a beautiful woman by the name of Hannah, who was barren at the time when she made her petition known to the Lord and he opened her womb. Listen to our study from chapter one. You'll understand more. And here we are. Little Samuel ain't so little anymore. And look what the Lord has done. Look at the goodness and faithfulness of our God verse 21, then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. You see, intimacy with God, it only gets deeper. It only gets deeper. You see, the formula in Samuel is right, and the formula in Samuel stays right. And intimacy with the Lord, it only gets deeper. Now, remember, we are studying. In the Old Testament first Samuel chapter 3 we're in the Old Testament but we are a people of the new covenant Christians a people of the way we are a people of the new covenant a blood-bought people the blood of Jesus Christ and don't forget our study in Hebrews because Hebrews chapter 1 tells us in verse 1 Hebrews 1 verse 1 God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. You see? Our intimacy with the Lord. It also can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's with Jesus. With Jesus. Son of Of the most high God, hallowed be his name to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.